I can't totally guarantee that they're listening, singing along, are with you the entire time. Whereas that is the standard for me over here. But total time watched is would be the equivalent as the time that you are investing in the community. And that that was a third metric because I don't have, I couldn't do attendance. They didn't understand attention, you know, with a view. A view isn't the same. And this it's not the same as a butt in the seat. It's just not. And so I had to figure out what is the third metric that both had in common. You're listening to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast with Sarah Kinzer and Hector Martinez, part of the TCD Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Welcome again to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast, part of the Church Digital Network. And first off, uh, my name is Hector, and today I'm here with my co-host, Sarah. Hey, hey. Hey, Sarah. And today we've got uh, Jason Morris. Uh, Hey, Jason. Hey. Hey, so I'm excited today uh, just to to get just right into the show. Um, Jason, I, I first, I actually was introduced to you through the Church Digital Podcast. Uh, the I'm pretty sure it's the only uh, episode of Digital Church Doesn't Have to Be Weird, which was a roundtable exercise <laughs> of kind of thinking through like, hey, we kind of know that the church, the digital online expressions of church are a little weird. Um, let's kind of just embrace that, but show people and, and talk to the places where it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be this thing that is not understandable and not not doable. It's um, in a lot of ways simple, even though in a lot of ways there's new and you know things that we're learning. And so anyway, on that show, I was just so taken aback by the passion that you have um, for online spaces and online ministry and seeing this. Um, expression of the church pushed forward, um, not as um, how do we get more people into the models we have, but rather how do we continue to go forward as the church. Um, but then even hearing some of the the things that you talked about, such as um, the the financial benefit to planting digitally, where <laughs> you're removing barriers, um, right. and then also uh, the idea that we are already in disintermediated layers the way that we interact with the world and so digital ministry is simply adding to that complexity um right in in a way that's already something that we are we're doing and so yeah life is like that anyway yeah oh yeah and so so i'm just really really excited to to get into the conversation today with you um i think uh you know I've been looking forward to this conversation because then we got to sit down and have, I can't remember. I wish I had written down our conversation, <laughs> just highlight points because we had probably about an hour after yeah. uh, with Katura. Um, yeah, that was And fun. just talked like, I mean, I, let me tell you, we had church that day, Jason. I don't know yeah. about you, but for me, yes. I had church because we had right. people gathering, talking In Jesus name. scripture. And Absolutely. He was there. Praise yeah. God. He was. Absolutely. And, um, so anyway, I'm excited to talk about that. I wish when I was writing notes for the show, I was like, I cannot for the life of me remember those conversations. And a part of me is glad because for me, that that means like that moment was sacred and holy. It doesn't have to be beyond that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, right. it, it happened. It was real and it, it impacted my life. Mm-hmm. And so anyway. Um, yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, when the disciples saw Jesus when at the transfiguration, they wanted 
to capture the moment. You know, let's make some tents. Let's repeat this, you know, mm. and instead of letting the moment just be what it was, I feel like a lot of times in our, in our ministry models, even something miraculous happens because Jesus was there. God was there, did an amazing work. And then we want to take, we want to bottle that and repeat it over and over. And it doesn't always work like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I know your point. So before we get too deep into anything, we want to know, like, outside of what you do, who are mm-hmm. you, what's your world, who are your people, that sort of stuff? Oh, yeah. Um, my name is Jason Morris. Uh, right now, I am working at Resi Media. Um, I had started doing ministry probably back in 1994. Yeah, that was, like, before, like, right before the World Wide Web was conceived. Um, I was uh, doing ministry with uh, local BBSs and I got, I did my first hospital visit from a girl that I was like debating back and forth in a BBS forum um, who had uh, attempted suicide and got a chance to pray with her. And the following day I, you know, went back and I was getting my master's at the time. Um, And I remember going back to my master's class and we were doing it on like um, biblical poetry or something like that. And I sat down and told the guys, I like, guys, cyber church is a thing. And they all laughed at me and they said, you know, Jason, not everybody has a computer and not everybody has an email address. You know, how are, who are these people that you're going to minister to? You know, and I'm like, guys, you don't know what's coming. It's coming. Mm. And so that started back in 94. And since then, you know, went on the other side of the world um, as a missionary in Paraguay, South America, um, started one of the first ISPs because I couldn't stand not getting email um, and using technology all along the way while church planning, doing mission work, all of that, and using that as a very powerful tool for ministry. And even while being in Paraguay, South America, I had this 128K microwave antenna that would beam to the TV antenna across town so that I could get 128K download speed and I would download some of the very first church podcasts overnight because it would just take too long. And then the following morning, I would listen to them and translate them and use them for our church and stuff like that. I was hacking into Saddleback like way a long time ago. And before the, you know, they opened it up and stuff. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And I began to see that there were certain puzzle pieces that needed to, certain technologies that needed to emerge or at least be put together in ways where we could actually do church because um, I saw back then, you know, they were doing, um, they were doing, you know, video delivery. That was like, you know, that, that had been going on for a long, long time, video delivery. Um, But there was no interactivity. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, it's like, okay, church is not a TV show. There's has to be some kind of interactive element to it where one another's can be expressed. And so, um, yeah, there, you know, I, I could talk it a long, long, long time, but I, I remember seeing some of these things in the very beginning around 2008, 2007. Um, and uh, I remember even talking to Life Church before they launched their first online um, ministry there and telling them, look, you know, you guys have got something here. You've got a chat and all these other things. There's no reason why we couldn't have um, church experiences peppered in cyber cafes all around the world. They're like, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> and so what's cool now is 
so I'm seeing the fruition of some of those things and some of those conversations that started way back in 2006. And anyway, I'm excited for the era that we are living in today, more tools at our disposal than ever to share the good news of Jesus and create new expressions and models of church that uh, weren't available or even possible before. Just like you're not going to get a mega church unless you have the car and the PA system. You have these certain technologies that are required in order for certain um, models of church to emerge. And I feel like we have so many more tools at our disposal. And I love watching these new models of church emerging. And um, as I was uh, working, and I have been an, uh, an online pastor since uh, 2010. So uh, until um, the until 2022. So I am right now um, switching. And the reason why I'm doing that um, is because I was kind of frustrated with the lack of tools to do certain things in church that I feel are vital for us to have these new expressions and new models of church emerge. There's a couple of technological things that need to happen in order for this to have its expression and its fullness. And I just got tired of waiting. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go on the other side of the equation so that we can get some engineers together, build these tools, have them talk together so that these new expressions of church can emerge. Anyway, so that's kind of in a nutshell. I did a lot of talking there. Kind of <laughs> in a nutshell of, of, of who I am and, and where I've been. Uh, you know, I was an online pastor um, at Westside Family Church for a long, long time and doing live streaming um, before many churches and technologies were even doing it. We, were, we started live streaming in 2010, which at, the, at that time, there was probably half a dozen churches that were doing that. And we also, Westside was one of the churches, one of the 13 churches that pulled money together so that the church online platform could be a thing. Um, and I feel like um, we're seeing so much fruit out of that initial you know, work. I'm just grateful to be a part of, you know, what Jesus is doing as he is building his church. So yeah, this is a really great time to be alive and to be ministering. Yeah. Um, so also what platforms are you on and what's your <laughs> preferred platform? You know, little. Oh, wow. Uh, it depends. Okay. That's a great question. It's a loaded one because, um, I would probably say it depends on your church model first um, because, and this is just, this is just me, all right? But I, I do believe this. And I think that it has helped a lot of other people too as they think about church, as they think of platform. If we back up the timeline a little bit, when you talk about church planting before the whole digital thing started, it was always centered around a place. So people would, you know, pastors would say things like, I feel called to this location, right? And I think one of the reasons why that was important, um, because if you are centered around a particular location, there are serendipitous um, touch points that can occur when you're living in proximity with someone else. Like if you're in the same small town, you'll see each other at the grocery store, you can pray for them there. In other words, you can do things outside of Sunday that are hard, a lot harder to do if, you know, you're trying to minister in the next state. 
you know, and you're just driving there every Sunday. So I think that if you keep that in mind of place being important for these serendipitous types of encounters to incur, to occur, you could apply a particular phenomenon that I call platform as place. So if you think of like a church planter, they would try to concentrate on a place. And the reason for that, you know, even if for other reasons, not just, you know, serendipitous types of encounters, but you're probably speaking the same language. You probably have the same type of culture that you're sharing. You're eating the same types of foods, chances are, than you would in other parts of the world. And I say this because, you know, I've been in other parts of the world and I know how that works. Um, language is important because you want to communicate with somebody, right? And so what is interesting about different platforms is there are other platforms, they're practically other subcultures. They might, they might even, uh, the way that you interact with people, just like a language, is different in each platform. And each platform has a different kind of, uh, I don't know how else to describe it, but a different type of um, reason for being uh, and a hub by which the community circles around. So for example, um, YouTube, its hub is around video delivery, right? If you have any kinds of comments or any kinds of community, it's always around that video. However, with Facebook, it's not centered around videos. It, you can include videos, but it's centered around the, your, um, your social network. That's how Facebook works. Twitter, a lot of times it's centered around an idea or around a tweet, you know? And so it's, you can develop community around that tweet, obviously, just like you develop, you can develop community around of YouTube video, or you can develop community around a social network, but the way in which you do it is different depending upon your platform. So you can't retweet a video. You can't um, add mention a video. Do you see what I'm saying? Or in, in other ways, uh, it's a lot harder to DM from a video. And, and so it's there, there's different ways in which you interact with people depending on your platform. And if you think of it as its own subculture, having its own language and its own culture in which you interact with people and have a shared experience, it's, I find a whole lot easier to think of platform as place. And the better you get as a good missionary would, and as a digital missionary, conversely, the better you get at understanding your culture and communicating within that culture, the more successful you're gonna be as a minister or as a missionary. And so when I see churches that are in lots of different platforms at the same time, I always think in the back of my mind, I hope they have a pastor for each of those platforms or a missionary on each of those platforms that can, like a church plant would do, or like a church would send a missionary to another country, you could send a missionary to Facebook and decide, okay, this one, this guy is going to, you know, he's going to go deep in this particular culture, understand everything about it and minister to people in a deep way. Or you could do it just as easily in Rust or in Final Fantasy or, or in Altspace. There are lots of different subcultures that one could feel called to and be a missionary to that isn't geographic anymore. It's more mm -hmm. cultural than anything else. And so when we talk about doing different platforms, Westside had done a ton of different platforms. I mean, we were on Twitter, on Twitch. We tried Twitch for a while, but didn't have a minister to work in there. So we kind of pulled away from that. 
Facebook, YouTube, um, but in each space, we're not just spamming the videos or the live streams. We are intentionally trying to create community in there with a particular minister that feels called to that space. Is that is it is that helpful? Yeah. Yeah. So, man, these are these are encouraging things to me. You know how but, so? Well, you know, I do have um, I have accounts on I have account on a Facebook account. I have an Instagram account. I have a Twitter. Right. And yeah. like when I started doing the experiment on social media just a couple of years ago, like, all right, well, let me just see what works, what doesn't work. And, um, you know, I would try, you try emulating other people's stuff. You try doing something that maybe is a little, a little different than what you're seeing, but ultimately I don't know what the, I still have yet to figure out exactly what it is that sets Twitter apart for me, but mm -hmm. Twitter works for me in a way that Instagram and Facebook haven't. Now that's not right. just, I don't have, like, I have meaningful interactions on Facebook and Instagram. And I have mm -hmm. meaningful things, meaningful things that are absolutely ministry in those spaces, but it's mm -hmm. not, it's not the same as Twitter. Yeah. Twitter is a different beast altogether. And I think one of the other things that I see a lot of churches try to do is tell the people that they're trying to reach to become the missionary. And here's what I, here's what I mean by that. When someone's on the church online platform, they'll say, Hey, join our Facebook group. In other words, you're telling them move to my country mm -hmm. where I can minister to you. That doesn't make any sense. And what I love about some of the things that you're doing, Sarah, is that you're trying to keep it native to Twitter. You're not asking them to move to a different place in order to minister to them. You're going to them instead of asking them to come to you. Yeah. See what I mean? Yeah. And, um, Hector, sorry if I'm like running over the conversation. No, 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 no. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I asked. I asked. Um, yeah. Like, like I think about, I had um, a conversation with my lead pastor this week and um, sorry, that's distracting. I had a conversation with my lead pastor this week that was really encouraging. In January, 2020, we had a church planning class that we had to take and the whole church staff went because our, our church was planting a campus, right? And okay. so we go through this like intensive class and the instructors uh, led us through developing a plan for launching a campus, launching a church or launching a ministry. And okay. in, in that time, like I had this, this really big vision, like God just laid something out in front of me. And I remember just being like, like, this is, this is too big for me to deal with. <laughs> Like, I, I don't even know how to, I don't know how that, how do you even do that? Like what you've said to me is, is giant. And I can't even see, I, I remember thinking, feeling like it was like standing at the bottom of a mountain and looking up and up and up and just feeling dizzy at how big it is. Well, one of the things to encourage you a little bit, Sarah, we, part of the vision that God has given to you isn't just given to you. It's given to the body. Yes. So um, it's like you know, the eyes see things and have that vision, but they're not the ones, they just give the vision, you know, yeah. you know, the mouth does different things. The ear does different things. And I feel like many times I have, um, and I learned this early on when I started doing online ministry was I was doing it alone way too much and compensating for the things that I felt like I didn't have time to do with automations rather than with people. 
And what I ended up doing was I began to alienate the body of Christ from what God wanted to do with his church because I knew that I could automate it easier Mm -hmm. rather than train a volunteer and have a manual process around it. Mm -hmm. And here's why, because that um, I killed, I shot myself in the foot in two different ways. One was while the automation was faster on the front end, I was keeping people from discovering their ministry. And at the same time, I was, I was not able to multiply myself because I wasn't giving anybody any experiences. I was giving the bot the experiences that I was supposed to be giving the volunteers. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a vision that's bigger than what you feel like you can do, that's probably a good thing because you are going to be dependent on God and you're going to be dependent upon the body that he has placed you in if yeah. you use it. Well, one of the, so I um, had the opportunity to meet my friend Hector a couple weeks ago for the first time. Nice. And, and it was, there was this moment where um, we, we pulled up in front of his house and I don't know, I think his sister came out or something. And like, in that moment, I realized like the, the vision that I had had in 2020, like it's already happening. And I hadn't even Mm -hmm. noticed, like, All these that reminds me of that passage in Isaiah where it's like, you know, I'm doing new things. Do you not perceive it? Yeah. You know? right. Yeah. And it was yeah. like, it, I just, I couldn't believe, like, I hadn't even noticed all this time. I was like, all right, I'm just going to do whatever you ask me to do. I'm going to keep going towards this mountain. You know, I'll walk up and, and, and see where this leads. I don't, you know, and then you sort of think, well, when are we going to get going up the mountain? But, you know, <laughs> when, you, when you start driving, I live near small mountains you know I'm in the Shenandoah Valley they're not big mountains like out west but you just start going up and you don't really notice as you're going up you're not like tilted straight up Mm -hmm. repelling up the side of the mountain you're just sort of going up and it's like I turned around and I'd seen the valley view you know you just turn around Mm -hmm. and went oh like this is God is doing what he said he'd do God is faithful God will God will do this um because he already is doing it yeah and so like the, the, the things that I had tried in other spaces, like when I came into Twitter um, and saw the way that community would be built and the way that leaders were, were being equipped and the way that mm-hmm. uh, people were drawn deeper, like as we supported one another and had these conversations and, and relationships were built, their, their relationships, um, their relationship with God was deepening and there um you know there was restoration happening in, in places in their lives outside of Twitter and um and rescue happening for people out, out in their lives outside of Twitter. So like it wasn't just impacting like their their follower count. It was impacting right. like, yes. like their their security. It was impacting right. their self-esteem. It was impacting their and and in positive ways. So Sarah, I've got, I've got a question, just like a technical one, because I've been a part of Twitter ever since you could use it with SMS. All right. So from the very oh, beginning. Yeah. No idea. Like, what, I have no idea. Okay. I've only been on it back for in the old days. You know, the hundreds, the, the character limits back mm-hmm. in the old days was because you couldn't have an SMS longer than 160 characters. And mm-hmm. they had to put a little header on it and stuff like that. So that's why they limited it to 120 because you could actually be on Twitter from your cell phone without internet access using SMS. 
back in the day, like when it first started. And it was an interesting experiment of character limits. And the whole conversation around it was, you know, you've got these ideas of long form and short form content, you know, and Twitter being on the extreme of 120 characters. But since then, they've opened it up and now they've got these community tools and all these new things you can do with Twitter. I'm curious, the way that you run community in Twitter, most of the time when I tried it back in the early days without those extra tools, I found it really hard. I mean, there was a couple of times when I got in a Twitter storm with, you know, a bunch of people that, you know, were, you know, this atheist community that wanted to just... (laughs) We just went round and round and we never got anywhere. And so I'm I'm curious, do you use the community tools of Twitter now or are you using basic DMs and retweets? I'm using basic DMs and retweets. I have a little bit of concern that the community tools will disappear. Okay. I don't, you know, I don't know what the future holds for Twitter, but the community thing is relatively new. Right. In the 18 months or so, has it even been 18 months? Just under a year and a half. It hasn't been. The equivalent to stories, whatever, um, fleet, right. and those yeah. things went and like, if they yeah. try, they're trying stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't want to, I don't want to put all of my, my relationships in something that's going to pull out and then I have to regather, but like, right. they're not going anywhere with the DMS and yeah. they're not going anywhere with, with a main page. So I stay in DMS and I stay on the, the timeline. That's really cool. I, I feel like what you're, what you're, um, kind of surfacing is because tools have ways in which they they do community in different ways, and if you can match the minister with the tool that they like the best, mm-hmm. um, and there's a there's a resonance and alignment that occurs when you know because there's there's some people that love to speak to large crowds, and that's it. When mm-hmm. you get them one on one, they're not that great. And vice versa, you can have people that are really great with text communication that when you have try to carry on a conversation, you know, one-on-one, they don't even look you in the eye, but they're amazing in text format. So trying to find what works best for each minister, what is the best tool? Like one could argue that, you know, one of the best tools that the Apostle Paul used was his letters, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he figured out a way to align with that and did remote church planting from letter writing. And so Jesus didn't do it that way. Jesus did it a different way. And so I feel like um, what you're, what you're surfacing is really cool because you like to go deep with, you know, individual relationships and you can do that in DMS and Twitter. So great. You can not do that as easily in YouTube for example. Mm -hmm. And so you choosing Twitter kind of tells me what kind of, what kind of minister you are and the way that you minister, which is really cool. Everybody has a different style and a different gifting. And that's why personally, that's why I feel like we need a lot of different people in this space doing, um, not trying to like learn another language necessarily, but to use the one they, they, they know. You know, mm. if they're already on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, then and they love it, well, then use that. Duh. If you're on, if you're playing Call of Duty all day long, well, let's let's use that intentionally for the kingdom. You know. Yeah. Anyway. Well, it's it it really is no different. I, I think when we're talking about like discipleship, it's no different right. 
than, yes. hey, if you go to the grocery store, like, say hi to your cashier, get to know them, remember who right. they are. And so next time, maybe right. intentionally, instead of going to the self-checkout, you know, go to the same cashier, get to know them, get to know their name, start using the services at the service desk, right? Like these things that we go, go to that space that you're already in and, and mm-hmm. like belong and use the services that right. are at your, your fingertips, right? Um, don't just go to get what you need. Cause yes, right. grocery store, go get your groceries, right? Yeah. Use the the online tools, whatever, but like get to know the people. You see the same people when you're doing pickup, get to know their name instead of, hey, thanks for putting my stuff in my trunk, like get to know their name, right? And so that same language, that same model of discipleship of get to know the places that you already are and be intentional on them is is what I hear you saying about digital spaces. Yeah, and Hector, to your point, it can go all the way down to things like even like mobile games, like I have, you know, one of my, you know, I have a rule around gaming for me because I can go overboard so easily. So for me, you know, Marvel Contest of Champions, I've been playing that game for seven years, almost eight now. Um, And I have an alliance of guys that just play, it's a casual thing. And this is a casual game, right? And so, you know, usually I come home, I'll unwind and I'll play for about five, 10 minutes, but there's a, here's the thing though, there's a chat in there. And inside there, there've been moments where I've prayed for other guys who are like in my alliance, who are like going through a tough time right now. I've done that inside a casual game where, you know, but the, the truth of the matter is, I feel like we need to have eyes to see the gospel opportunities that Jesus is giving us all the time. You know, it happens all the time. And we're just, we just pass over it without even realizing the opportunities that we, that we have before us. Because um, I think I've heard it from you guys is that behind every, you know, avatar, behind every username is a person that's made in the image of God mm-hmm. that he has called us to reach and to give the gospel to. And that, that goes for people who know Jesus. All of us need the gospel every single day. You know, I need to be reminded of, of the fact that God is doing something in me and God has a plan and it's his kingdom every day, you know, and that things are going to eventually get better every day. I need yeah. to be reminded of that. And so whether it is, you know, someone who knows Jesus or not, it doesn't matter. You know, we all need the gospel every day. And so it's a matter of being intentional about the spaces and the places that you're already in and advancing that for the gospel, because none of that is by accident. God has control of all of that stuff. Even the games that you play are not by accident. You know, God, God placed you there. You know, a lot of times we feel like, oh, this is the place where I was born, or this is the place that I chose. to. There's a lot of things that we have control of, and there's a whole lot more that we don't. And so just be aware of what, what God is doing around you. And I think that just, just that awareness a lot of times will um, open up opportunities for you that you probably didn't consider before. So we want to hear about like what you're seeing with your role at Resi. Oh yeah. Okay. So, and, and so do you work with both individuals or largely churches? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a mixture. It's um, a mixture. Yeah, I work with mainly, you know, the churches or the organizations where the live streaming stuff is going on mm -hmm. and we're helping them with that, right? Um, also in the metaverse, there's stuff like that going on that I'm excited about. Um, one of the really interesting things that Resi does is, you know, we have certain patents that um, on the, the technologies that are really useful for churches above all else. And I can see a lot of those being translated into the metaverse in very unique ways. Like, um, like here's just an example, right? Um, I see a lot of churches in the metaverse that are, they're creating, well, a lot of churches get started by doing what they know, right? And that's not a bad thing. It's just a thing, right? Even on my phone, for example, there is this icon right here. You see mm -hmm. that green icon? Mm -hmm. What is that? No kid can tell me what that is because they don't know. They say it's a phone, but they've never actually held a handset oh, in their life. Yeah. You know, they don't know that. And so I think a lot of times we we need to understand where people are coming from because the iPhone came from a phone, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why that handset is on that icon is because it gave people something in the past that they were familiar with so that they could understand what the future was going to hold. Mm -hmm. Just like in the same way where cars were not called cars back in the day, they were called horseless carriages because that was something that they understood that let them know what the future was going to be like. And in the same way, I feel like um, a lot of this work that's done in the metaverse um, is they're, they're doing church services inside the metaverse, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad thing, but it is. And they, they'll like, I've, I've even seen like in, in life church, they'll, basically throw a campus inside of alt space, right? And that's not a bad thing because that's the model that they, that they write on, right? However, there's a lot of other models that could, that could work too, you know? Like in, in the Twitter stuff that you're doing, Sarah, it's like more one-on-one -on -one sort of things. That sort of expression of a video stand seating, you know, that's probably not the same experience that would be the closest analog to what you're doing in Twitter. Um, and so there are things about what, you know, without getting super technical in the weeds, because, you know, I can do that, but um, being able to create compelling experiences that are kind of like a campus mm -hmm. for churches, I feel like those are the baby steps that I need to help churches get into in hopes that, like with DJ Soto when he first started, the first kind of worlds that he started building in VR look like churches and they look like an audience with a speaker and all of those things. Now what DJ is doing is completely different, which I love because I even told him back in the day, it was like, dude, why are you making it look like a church? You could make it look like Ephesus or Corinth or whatever space that you're, that you're, that you're teaching about, you know, stick them in the middle of the Red Sea, do, do all kinds of things, you know, make it fun, make it an experience because you have a world that you can actually build. Why are you making it like a church? That doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> and so, so, and then he started doing that. And I feel like that feels like a progression that a lot of churches could handle. Like right now, a lot of prevailing model churches, the, the, the next step for them might be, if they're going into the VR space, it might be using some of the stuff and some of the 
um, systems and technology that they already are kind of familiar with anyway, and taking them one step into it. Then knowing in probably about a year or two, they're hopefully gonna evolve into something else that is gonna be the better expression. But they gotta, they gotta take that baby step to begin with. And so I'm helping churches take those first baby steps yeah. um, into spaces where they feel a little bit familiar and I'm like calling back to things that they understand so that um, in time, it will ultimately evolve into the expression that I think Jesus is really looking to move us toward. Good. I was going to say, I, I think it was DJ Soto's church. I watched the YouTube restream mm -hmm. of their Easter service at where it is literally like a Stations of the Cross type service yeah. where we're going right. to start here here's the scripture on the wall here's this do you see the mountain behind me do you notice that right. it looks like a skull because here's yeah. the skull and it's all these things that we use even from like a sermon type gathering um mm -hmm. where here's the powerpoint here's the picture but it's it's right. 3d it's experienced it is shared mm -hmm. experienced even and okay, now we're going to walk over to the tomb and we're going to come in and hear. And so it's these things that like you would hear in a normal church service, but the experience of it is different. Yes. Um, and, and it's using the, the VR capability of saying, I can, I can create, I, I think it was his church. It may have been another, um, oh, it might've been Stuart McPherson's church. Um, but either way, it was the, the VR world of we're going to come here. Here's the central place. And people can go explore and do it on their own time. But there was also mm -hmm. this like, okay, now we're dropping into this world. And now we're dropping into this scene, right? And mm -hmm. just the way that you can then, as you're experiencing that, um, especially for me, I was just watching the YouTube stream. And I was just like enamored by like, oh, okay, it makes sense. And now like, when I hear, even in my own study or my own conversations, right, Golgotha, the place of the skull. Like I have this image of the VR world and all these avatars running around. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. It's a skull. Right. And so yeah. um, just the, that experience that can be planted into our memories of, right. uh, of how, how we take just learning something, but then how we make it an experience that we can draw back on as well. So, so Sarah, to answer the question, you know, what, what I'm doing with Resi from a video perspective, it's that. But the, the thing for me that, that took me over the edge was um, when PushPay acquired Resi, now you have giving CHMS, mobile app, and streaming under one roof. What could you do with that in ways that we haven't seen before? Um, one of the things that always frustrated me, and especially post-COVID, because, um, you know, again, I've been doing this for a long time, since 2010, but not everybody was doing it. Well, COVID lockdown hits. Now my online church gets invaded by church people, right? And post-COVID, now we are dealing with an audience, whether you're online or on-site, that's hybrid. And for churches and for pastors that are used to on-site ministry, they're seeing their congregation cut in half because the other half is online and they're a different half every Sunday. They're like going back and forth. And so how it's dis disorienting 
to the pastor because now he feels like, has my church shrunk or has it grown? He has no idea, right? And he doesn't know who is in my church because they could be from another state, another country, another church. They could be just dropping in. There's this super confusing. And so I feel like um, post-COVID, my frustration with the lack of tools that were there just, you know, hockey sticked because um, I would be spending literally a day's worth of work trying to discover who was in Facebook this week, who was watching in YouTube, who was in church online platform, who was on site, and just understanding attendance patterns um, and how people were engaging with the content, whether it was on site or online, and making sense of that was taking way too much time because none of this stuff talked to one another, you know? And so <laughs> it was so frustrating to be able to minister care at scale. I was like, forget it. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to help be a part of pioneering those tools so that these things can begin to talk to each other. And so the pastor can have a much better idea of what is actually going on with the discipleship of his people. Because, you know, that video view, I get a number, but I don't get a name, you know? And that's a problem. We need to be able to know, oh, you know, Susie just watched the membership class video. Maybe I should follow up with her, you know? Or, you know, John just watched How Do I Become a Christian video. Maybe I should follow up with him. You know, this this type of care or perhaps, you know, Judy just watched um, a marriage video, how to how to not get a divorce. Maybe I need to follow up with that person that watched that video. But a number isn't going to tell me that. And that's a problem. Yeah. And so now for the first time, we've got some technologies that are able to say, OK, giving church management system mobile app, which by the way, in most cases is in a logged in state. And if they're, if they're watching something online, a video delivery, you put all of those things together. Now you have a much better picture of the discipleship continuum with that person at an individual level and are able to not only serve up what is most relevant to that person, but also be able to personally minister because of the little signals that you're getting across the continuum. Does that make sense? Yeah. So um, there are a lot of, so I think about um, the way that a lot of pastors or a lot of churches who are uncomfortable with digital ministry and online ministry, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it feels sort of like someone has said, I don't think they're uncomfortable with digital ministry. What do you think? I don't think they are. I think they're uncomfortable with with certain certain decades of digital ministry. Most yeah. most pastors that I talk to, um, if they're against digital ministry, I will ask them questions like, did you call your mom on Mother's Day? Yeah. Did it count? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did, have you ever prayed with someone over the phone? Yeah. Did it count? Did, you know, was the spirit, was Jesus there? So the question is not whether they're against digital ministry it's more the question of what what era of digital ministry they're comfortable with yes and so this is this is what i'm saying like they're uncomfortable with their skill set within it like they're 
they hear, well, we should do this, we should do that. And it feels like, well, I will never be able to do that. And so it's sort of like somebody has said to the entire world, everybody at this, everybody, every church must have a Hispanic ministry. And people are like, but I don't even know if I have Hispanic speakers. And it's like, listen, you've got, and so they, it's a little bit like, I think a lot of people are just saying, I don't have Hispanic speakers. I will not have a Hispanic ministry, but um, where specific languages can be more isolated in regions or areas, um, the digital language is global. It's everywhere. And so our people, whether you as a pastor speak digital language fluently your people are speaking it every day at- yeah they're in it every day and, and i think so- it's the pastor's job to equip the saints for mm-hmm. the work of the ministry yes he doesn't necessarily have to do it himself and really some of my best volunteers my best digital missionaries my best digital ministers were not techie people yeah. and i had to cuz you can teach tech skill but you can't teach uh, a minister's heart. You know what I'm saying? And the best, the best ministers that I had were ones that were willing to put up with all of the tech glitches so that they could minister to somebody, so that they could pray yeah. with somebody. That was where their heart was at. Their heart was in prayer and ministry. Their heart wasn't in technical stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Because what we did was we made the technical stuff work in such a way that it was where they could handle it and it gave them opportunities for ministry that they didn't have before. So an, an example of this was um, when you're online and especially in a text format, um, there's more than just geographical barriers that are being lifted. You have like ageism barriers that are being lifted too, because my son led his first person to the Lord online and he was 11 years old, leading a Saudi Arabian guy who was struggling with porn to the Lord that was 23 years old when he was 11. And you know why? Because he didn't know he was 11. And I have other people who are older that on site, they wouldn't listen to, but you get them online because you don't know what age they are. (laughs) They can do whatever. And they have tons of time to be on these online tools all day long in ways that the young mom can't because, you know, they've got their two-year-old and they just don't have time for that stuff. They're just trying to sleep. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I get it. There's seasons for all of these things. And I feel like there's opportunities for even the elderly to get involved with online ministry like never before, because when they say their wisdom from their lifelong experience, it sounds so great because it's not coming from an old person. (laughs) It's, It's coming from a wise person. Mm-hmm. That's just writing some kind of text and, you know, they're, they're sharing their experience. Right. Yeah. And I feel like there's, there's age barriers that are being lifted. When you go online, there are um, geographic barriers that are being lifted. And there's even in some cases, time barriers that are being lifted if you do it in an asynchronous fashion. So where one of the big things about live streaming, that's really kind of tricky is well, what time zone are you in? You're not going to, you're not going to minister to people on the other side of the globe. But if you're doing it in a text format, you can, if it's asynchronous. And you can get a lot of work done filling in the gaps with asynchronous communication, because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. He yeah. wrote letters, async fashion, and then he would show up every few years, right? Mm-hmm. Well, 
why can't we do that? You know, I feel like we have so much um, examples of the types of ministry that we're talking about in the Bible that why, why are we ignoring this? And one could even argue that the Bible itself is asynchronous communication between God and us. Yeah. It's crazy. The kinds of things, if you think about it, um, where digital ministry or textual ministry is not a new thing. It's just a thing that's always happened throughout all of human history as God has tried to talk to us. And as we talk to one another, why should we not use that for the gospel? That's the question. Yeah. And I, I, so in my head, I hear right. The, like with video or with, you know, curriculum kind of, you know, Oh, well, it's Mm -hmm. only as true as you make it. Yeah. It's only as true as you make it. Right. And each, each medium has its own set of strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And that, by the way, was true in Paul's day too, because he was criticized for writing fiery letters, but being unimpressive in person. Yeah. That to me says a lot because I, I have, I have volunteers that feel like that. You get them in a chat and they're like, (laughs) but you get them face to face and they're like, (laughs) and so it's no different. And so all of those criticisms that one would have for digital ministry, that they're not real people, that you have these weaknesses of textual communication, that is changing our brains, all those things are true, right? Because everything you do changes your brain, by the way. Reading changes your brain just by itself. And you can find in every era of technological advancement, you can find people that criticize that advancement validly for lots of good reasons. Like, um, you have um, uh, Socrates was criticizing the book because it made his students lazy because they didn't have to memorize it anymore. Mm. And we have people today that are saying, oh, you can just Google everything. That's making people lazy. Well, it's making everybody better. So who cares, right? It is, you're not going to change it. And I feel like also that we, as um, these are things to, they're not bad things to wrestle with. There are things that we need to consider, both the good and the bad, and realize that we're going to make a decision knowing both so that we can make a wise decision. And it reminds me of that, um, that passage in Job, where Job talks about the two sides of wisdom. And that is, you got to know what's good and what's bad about something before you do it, if you're going to make a wise decision. That way, you are also accepting the weaknesses of whatever decision you're making. And that's something that I feel like, especially on the front end of the technological advance, that gets forgotten. And then it it surfaces, oh, now we have people that have mental illness with this, or it's changing our brains in that, and all these things. It's like, of course, we should have thought of that ahead of time. That That doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, but we should just need to be aware of it and compensate for it, just like we do with everything else. You know, there's a lot of people that get killed because of the automobile, but that doesn't stop us from driving. You know, we understand those risks that we're taking and we also, there's whole cottage industries of insurance and all that other kind of stuff that compensates for that. So whenever we're, we're going into a new area of ministry, we need to kind of understand that there's going to be some weaknesses here. It's not to say our prevailing moral ministry has its own set of weaknesses that we need to be aware of too. You know, everything has a strength and weakness. We just need to be aware of it so that we can compensate for it. Yeah, um, that's kind of got off on that a little bit, but I, I feel like that, you know, if you feel like technology is evil, well, then you just need to be Amish and be done with it, you know? And I mean, and I'm not, 
I don't mean that jokingly. I mean that seriously, because the Amish think very thoughtfully about the types of technologies that they will allow in their community. And they talk about it with their elders. Okay, this is the technology that it could cause this that's bad for our community. Should we do it or not? And so they make those decisions all the time. And so, you know, they, that's how they manage it. And I applaud them for being thoughtful about their technology. Now, I don't necessarily agree with where they land, but that's okay. You know, I'm glad they're thinking about it. And I feel like of all the people that criticize it, they need to look at what is on the spectrum of what you will accept and what you won't of technological advancement, because there's good sides and downsides of everything, you know? Mm. And as a parent, we do that all the time with our kids. You know, we don't let them do things that all the other kids are doing because we feel like, you know, that's not going to be good for them in their development right now. And I feel like when it comes to tech technology and being the father or the pastor of the people that you're called to minister, you kind of have to think through that stuff anyway. And that's not a bad thing. I do believe, though, that if you are equipping your people well, there comes a time in their spiritual development where you have to open that up for them, just like we do with our kids. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's so great, Jason. I um I was thinking just as you were sharing that, like there is kind of the danger if we don't think through that, is that it is what happens, right? As as right. teenagers, as we go into teenagers, what do we do? We go find the thing that we weren't allowed to to see <laughs> or to, right. to engage with. And but we have no context for what is healthy to engage with it, right? right. And so we yeah. just we just engage with it, and um, and and it poses, I believe, more danger for us to just say we're not going to touch it at all, discuss it at all, because right. then what happens? People go and and say, well, this is something that's on my heart, on my mind that mm-hmm. I'm exploring, so I'm just going to go do it anyway. Now, I'm not saying that people can't do that in wisdom, but that but the danger is that there are some people that may not have the tools because we have not given right. them to them. We have withheld those tools of wisdom, um, of, of thinking critically through these things, of uh, weighing pros and cons, of saying, how does this might benefit me personally, but will it affect my community? As you were talking about with the Amish community, right? Those mm-hmm. questions that if we don't, not just ask for our people, but then give them those questions to ask for themselves, we, right. we pose greater danger and we create the danger. And, and, and in a lot of yeah. ways, we are a self-fulfilling prophecy of those things are dangerous. Well, we made them dangerous because we didn't tell people this is what it was, right? Or, or there's another facet of this too, is that sometimes in time, people will equate that decision with their faith. Mm. So, you know, for example, people will equate um, not, not, you know, I, I mean, I'm going to make a list of, you know, all kinds of things. Like when I grew up, you know, women shouldn't wear pants or, you know, you shouldn't do marijuana or you can't drink. There's like all kinds of guardrails around, you know, modesty and, you know, drunkenness and, you know, not allowing something to control you, just the spirit. I mean, there's all kinds of principles around that. Um, but I wasn't taught that. I was just taught you do this or you don't do this. Yeah. And what ends up happening sometimes is people 
when they come out of that scenario because they reject you know that list of rules very much like how the judaizers did in the first century when they're rejecting their rules sometimes they reject the church they they gave them the rules and now they're rejecting the church and they end up even rejecting jesus sometimes because of all of this stuff that we thought we were being thoughtful with but what we missed was helping people give them the tools to do their own discernment and create with God their own convictions of what God means for them. Like the Apostle Paul said, you know, all things are lawful, but not all things are convenient. And he he had to wrestle with a lot of those things between him and God on an individual level. And so I feel like giving people tools to understand what's going on with technology is super helpful understanding how those dopamine hits work <laughs> and and to see um like there, there's a book that's called predictably irrational right that shows all of the ways in which um a lot of these companies and marketing it's not just digital stuff it's like in general yeah. ways that um people will use the weaknesses of the human mind against you and so it's it's just fascinating how if you understand the games that people are playing with you mm-hmm. it really then can shed light on what's really going on in these digital environments or what's going on in life in general yeah because they're not all that different and so i feel like you know to your point like they're um that might be a better approach than just giving someone a rule of saying Facebook is bad yep. or VR chat is bad. Well, that's like saying books are bad because porn exists, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. One, and okay, so so we talk a lot, we've, we've, we've talked a lot about different areas of digital ministry and kind of the tools that that are different and... You know, I, I know that both of us are very for digital ministry, and but I oh, also yeah. know that some listening may may be on the cusp of like they're interested, they're not quite in it. They 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 are trying to figure out is this for for me, for our church, for me personally, and so mm-hmm. um, what words? I mean, I mean, you've got decades of experience in this, but you've also uh, just in your role as you're talking about building. Uh, helping to sway what the tools are and building and pioneering. What encouragement or what exhortment would you have for somebody who's like, I, I'm, I'm just at the edge and I'm not quite over yet. Okay. What encouragement would you have for someone there? Well, for me, one of the, one of the big things that I believe Jesus intentionally made vague was the tools that we use. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. He didn't tell us how to do it. He just told us what the goal was. Yeah. And I believe that there's a lot of tools out there that help us toward that end, whether it be a church service or a DM in Twitter or mm-hmm. um, a Facebook post, a webpage, a video. There's a lot of tools at our disposal to make disciples of all nations. As long as we are clear as to what the objective is, I think that is the common ground that all of us 
should share, regardless of what tool is our favorite. Um, we're all trying to make disciples. And if we can agree on that, then it's like, okay, well, let's, let's use a tool then. You know, the Apostle Paul used letter writing. You know, Jesus used parables. You know, he used small groups. He, there's, there's a lot of different tools at our disposal to make that objective be true. Because in my mind, the only thing that matters is doing what Jesus said so that we can all go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, so it's like, okay, Jesus intentionally made it vague as to the tools, the methods, the expressions, the models. He didn't give any of those things on purpose yeah. so that it would be contextualized in every country, every language, every tribe, every technology, every platform. And we just need to, like a missionary, understand the context in which we're dropping into so that we can share the gospel and make disciples. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, so I started reading a new book. It's called faith in the wilderness and it is, um, uh, encouragement from Chinese, the Chinese church. And so, Mm, yeah, uh, I, I did not know this before I bought the book. I was just like, this is a fascinating, like, I have not seen a book like this come across my desk. And mm-hmm. so I was just like, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to read it. And I have a friend who, who has worked and in, in, in missions. And so I was like, hey, I bought her a copy, right? So I started reading it. And the premise of this book, of, of what this book is, is that in 2020, with the pandemic, there was a missions conference happening. And there was supposed to be the Church of China coming. They came, but then they couldn't get back because of COVID. And so what they did was they were live streaming the messages into China and they expected this number of people who had registered and they had thousands, thousands more people watching this live stream. And so this group of pastors decided we're going to keep doing this ministry, live streaming messages, knowing, knowing all and weighing of like, what is the cost of this? Mm-hmm. And so they kept doing this. And so this book is essentially um, translated transcripts of those sermons. And let me tell you, huh. it is so encouraging because from, from just that story of being willing to share this message of hope in any way possible, but then to say, oh, wait, this faithful missionary, like they, they took the the place they were in and rather than say well this has now been stripped from us they said what are the tools that god has laid at our feet they picked them up and then they what is the opportunity exactly and they said um you know we're just going to keep streaming this and they have and and they have seen such a a powerful movement of of people hearing the gospel uh not just hearing the gospel right this this short uh, story of what Paul says of what most important, right? Jesus uh, lived, buried, right? And rose from the dead, right? But they're mm-hmm. hearing like, what does this do for us in the form of live streamed messages? You know, and and um, so anyway, I was reading and it just like, my heart was just so encouraged at this and going, man, they took up the tool that was put in front of them when like so many here, like the same tools were set at their feet. And instead of going, nope, can't do ministry now. 
can't can't minister <laughs> right. to and encourage and exhort the church. No, 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 we're done. Right. They said, well, we're yes. gonna keep doing this because we've seen not just not just the reach, but the the fact that there is opportunity for impact uh, for mm-hmm. the kingdom, and right. to encourage the church. That I mean, they the book goes through the intro goes through like they weighed the outcome and they said this is worth the outcome to encourage yeah. to build up to grow the church and so i just i think when we when we look at online ministry and this is one of the reasons again that i was just so interested to talk with you is that there is it was obvious that you one because you'd been in it you you weren't just talking of like well i've been in this for since 2020 April 2020 is when I started, but it was this very like yeah. meticulous, like, no, I've been in it and I know the pain right. that come with it. Um, and yeah, that said though, you know, that is true. However, I feel like post COVID the world in which we minister to is vastly different. Oh, absolutely. And so, so I feel like in some ways, mo- you know, the ministerial stuff and the, the, the learnings are helpful. The methodologies, however, you know, I almost had to start over. Yeah. Post COVID. Yeah. So yeah. in one, in some ways, there was a, a, a leveling, it just leveled everybody, you know, and that was a good thing, I believe, because it gives opportunities for new expressions that perhaps would have either gotten buried or, wouldn't have worked had this not occurred. And it just level set at everybody. Everybody became a monocyte digital church, just like that. Just like that. For months. And we learned how to, and we learned how to work in a distributed fashion that we didn't do before because everything was centralized. You know, you had one central service at one central time with one central message. And you know, that is one way of doing it. I'm not saying it's wrong. But when you can't do that, then what do you do? Right? We still got to make disciples. And that's what I love about the story that you shared, Hector, is that these guys clearly were not um, focused on the method. They were focused on the mission yeah. that Jesus gave us. And so it's like, okay, can't do that. We'll just do something else. You know, yeah. you can't stop Jesus' kingdom just because some tool doesn't work as well as it used to. Yeah. We got to, we got to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, and it's okay. I finally remembered one of the things that we discussed in our oh, okay. conversation. <laughs> and so we'll go back a little bit backwards in our conversation a little bit, but, um, you know, in talking about like metrics and, and success Ooh, with online yes. ministry, one of the things yes. you said was, Hey, I had to stop measuring numbers and I yeah. started measuring watch time hours. Because yeah. it correlated with a metric that was like more, um, right? Uh, what's the word? Uh, familiar. It's a common metric. It's a across. common metric for us yeah. as ministers when we yes. go. I showed up on a Sunday. Forty people showed up for an hour, so that's forty hours of man time, right? Uh, that yeah. That that multiplication of one yes. hour into forty hours, right? Right. And, yeah. and hopefully then multiplied out again. But yes. um, you talked about, and I'll let you share this because I'll mess it up. But you talked about taking some of the metrics that YouTube was giving you and mm-hmm. re, 
uh, applying them differently so that you can yes. communicate why this was effective to someone right. who didn't quite understand. Yeah, and that was, you know, for, for a long, long time, that was a very common problem because in physical on-site ministry, and I'm not saying that these are the best metrics to use, but they're the easiest ones to use. Mm. So we ended up using them um, where you can count how many people are in the room. You can count how much your, you know, your ties came in, all of that stuff, the giving. So um, those are two indicators across the whole continuum of things in a discipleship pathway, two lone indicators. And because they're easy to measure, we end up just using that and nothing else, which is a shame. But even so, that metric, attendance, which you can measure very easily on site, is not the same metric online. Online, you measure attention, how much attention someone is giving you. And there's whole sets of you know, marketing and stuff like that that's geared around that metric, because online, that's all you have. Um, and oddly enough, these two are very different things. Because just, just because somebody shows up in your building doesn't mean they're paying attention. Yeah. Um, but we assume that they are, right? Because attention is fuzzy on site, but we have attendance. And online, attendance is fuzzy, but we have attention. So what I tried to do was, okay, you know, I constantly got this question all the time. It's like, how many people did we have? As if I'm asked for an attendance metric when I can't really tell you that. and what I came up with after years and years of thinking about it and wrestling with it, I mean, we tried all kinds of different metrics. I won't go into all the different ways that we did it, but what we landed on was great because I started measuring on time. Now I had the, um, I was really fortunate in that our church services on site were exactly an hour. And a lot of the analytics that I had in YouTube and Facebook and church online platform and Resi and all these other things, I could, find out what total time watched was. So I could say, okay, and I did formulas and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, total time watched, you know, 1200 hours would be the same as attendance, 1200 people listening for an hour, yeah. right? And I was, and I told, you know, my, my leadership, I told them, I said, look, I'm being super generous to you guys on site because you know, of a whole hour service, your sermon is maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes, right? Let's just say half an hour. I have to, on my side, create a whole hour to equate to your hour. And in your hour, I can't totally guarantee that they're listening, singing along, or with you the entire time. Whereas that is the standard for me over here. Right. But total time watched is would be the equivalent as the time that you are investing in the community. And that, that was a third metric because I don't have, I couldn't do attendance. They didn't understand attention, you know, with a view, a view isn't the same. And this, it's not the same as a butt in the seat. It's just not. And so I had to figure out what is the third metric that both had in common. And one of the reasons why I feel like a lot of pastors love having more people in the room when they're preaching because they've slaved away all week long, right? If there's five people that are listening to that message for an hour, that is 
five hours of investment into the, my community. Yeah. If I have 500 people, now that is a force multiplier. The, the church service now becomes a force multiplier for me. And now I have 500 hours of time invested in the community for the one hour investment on mine. And that's why I feel like a lot of pastors, you know, the bigger the numbers are, the happier they are because the work I did was worth it. Worth right? it, yep. yep. I totally get that. Payoffs. So what we have now on the, on the, and interestingly enough, all of us as human beings, our lives are measured in time. So we just measure it by years, you know, how, you know, we, and we only have a certain amount of time. Yeah. And when Jesus was on this earth, he had three and a half years with his disciples. And in those three and a half years, he had to get a job done so that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he could say to the Father, I've done everything you told me to do. And he could say on the cross, it is finished. Even though there was a lot of work that needed to be done, there was a lot of people that needed to be healed, there was a lot of people that needed to come to Jesus. As far as Jesus was concerned, he was done. The work wasn't done, but he was done. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like time is a big piece of it, of that discipleship equation that we need to consider. And I believe also that in our other environments, we could use that same metric. So for example, most small groups last for two hours. In other words, that counts double of on-site church attendance because you're spending twice as much time. Also for you know kids that go off to camp, and they spend 120 hours with them. That's why you see the outcomes you do when they go to camp. Because it would have taken you three years to do the same amount of time that you just did in a week's amount yep. of camp. Yep. That's why those decisions come out of those, in, those type of catalytic environments. Because of the time that you're investing in those people in the community. So I found that. You know, it, it seemed to make sense when you start measuring on time rather than viewership or attendance, but you measure on time. And it also helped a ton simplify a lot of things because if somebody pops in on Facebook for three seconds, well, that doesn't count very much. Yeah. It's, not, it's not the same as someone who has been on that video for an hour or more. And one of the things that we realized was, okay, this is the investment that we're making in time. And we're hoping that there is a return on that investment of obedience. So um, we would invest that way. And we found that, um, you know, our time watched, average time watched, when we started understanding it and started moving toward it, our average time watched went from 4.5 minutes average time watched to an hour. 90 minutes sometimes, average time watched, which is crazy when you stop and think about it. You know, to get to a place where you're really ministering to people who are bought in, who are really um, counting on you for their discipleship. It's not these flyby, you know, sorts of numbers that inflate your viewer count and then you feel like you're doing something in the same way where that same vanity metric of attendance is actually meaningful. They're both vanity metrics. What you really should be looking for is how much time am I investing and what is the outcome that I'm hoping to get? And Jesus talked about this all the time when he said, after the Sermon on the Mount, which by the way, 15 minute sermon, said, he who comes to me, hears the word of my teaching and puts it into practice 
is like a man that built his house on a rock. What you just heard from Jesus was an engagement funnel because there were people that were coming for the miracle show or for the free bread that weren't listening. But you're never going to have more people that listen than come, right? So that metric matters, top of the funnel matters because that tells you, okay, what's my capacity for those who hear? Yeah. Right. But just because you hear doesn't mean anything either, right? Are you going to obey? the words of his teaching. So this right here is the outcome that Jesus was wanting from the Sermon on the Mount that he did to multitudes. He was really clear what he was really looking for. He wasn't looking for attendance. He was looking for obedience. And so when we look at this and say, okay, all right, I'm investing so much time for what? So that people like my sermon or so that they think about something or so that they learn something? No. I'm, I'm investing all of this so they actually do something, yeah. so they obey. So across all of our environments, we could see, okay, what's the obedience that we're really looking for? What's the call to action? And then we could evaluate all of these environments to see which one's better. If I invest so many hours in this environment and it produces this amount of obedience versus this other one, it doesn't produce as much obedience. Yeah. You know? And now we can evaluate all of our environments against obedience and against time invested. And that worked so great because when they would ask me now, they would say things like, hey, who do we have online? You know, how many people we have online? I could answer them with, we had 1,500 hours of investment in the community. Yeah. And then that would be like, oh, yeah. That, okay. that tracks with, it's easier also to translate to the larger metric of, yes. right? How many hours is X church putting into our community? Well, exactly. we put 1500 online, which is, yes, we had 400 people show up to the service day for two hours, but that's still short of the one hour of engagement, right? Like the, the hours, again, not putting mm -hmm. a value on it, just saying like that it, it tracks and you're able to evaluate against in-person metrics as well and say this impact is lightning like in a bottle and like we have to put so much more effort in person oh dude to, yes. to quote unquote match it right and so right. it just also yeah. helps with this like if if and many churches do this we want to see impact we want to see impact we want to see impact right well this metric helps you go okay now let's talk about the sweat equity that is going to have to come out to show impact you know Especially what impact is to, to me? Yeah. Impact is the result of obedience. Yes. So what, what they're looking for is impact, right? But that's fuzzy too. Yeah. Because what does that even mean? You know, impact is a result of the people that you're teaching. You know, you're equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. You're hoping that they obey. Their obedience is what has impact. Amen. So when you talk about even what Jesus did, he said, you know, I don't do anything except what the father tells me. Jesus lived a life of obedience to the father yeah. till the end and to the extreme. That is why, you know, and it's not that he liked all that stuff. He said, you know, he endured the cross, despised the shame. And that's why he's at the right hand of the father right now because of his obedience. And if you talk about impact, I don't know how much better you're going to get than Jesus. And I tell you, when you start obeying, your discipleship, when you start going on obedience metrics, your discipleship takes a whole other approach because it's not about 
knowledge now. In fact, the more I know and don't obey, like James says, he who knows to do good and doesn't, it's sin. Or like Paul says, I wish I could teach you meat, but you're not ready for it. I have to hold back and teach you milk because that's all that you have the capacity to obey right now. Yeah. You know, and I I find that even with Jesus, he was very strategic in the types of teaching that he gave to different groups of people because he didn't want to give them a stumbling block to sin. Because if you're teaching somebody beyond their capacity to obey, you're giving them a stumbling block because they will begin to think that just listening is obedience or just um, understanding is obedience. And it's not. It's the first step toward it. But if you stop there, then we begin to create sinful habits in the pews of the people that we're teaching because we're teaching beyond their capacity. Well, the other side of that, no, that, and that's scary. And the other side of that is that we put uh, a weight on them if yeah. they're never able to carry out obedience because the standard right. is too high. That you have exactly. to know the entire Bible before you're a, a good, mature Christian. That you have to know exactly. As right? if so the disciples if, did. Right. And so that if it's, <laughs> if it's so far away, like that's the other side of the coin, that if, if obedience is so far away, we put a weight on people. which I believe is the weight that Jesus is talking about when he says, come to me and I'll give you rest, right? Like I'm taking that burden off of your spirit Mm -hmm. because there's, there's a different approach to what I'm doing here um, in the kingdom. Okay. So we've been talking, I love this conversation, Jason, I'd love to have you on the show. Thank uh, again. Thank you so much for coming. Um, We always ask two questions at the end of each show, at the end of each conversation. Um, We, we just, we're talking about impact here. And so I think this is a perfect segue to it is uh, we want to hear like a moment where you're trying to do ministry online or you're trying to implement one of the strategies and it just, it blows up in your face, does not go as you were thinking. Um, But then after we'd also like to hear, Hey, tell us a a story that like gives you hope. Tell us a a moment of, of ministry where you saw success um, and, and, you know, I like to, to sh- describe those as like the ones you tuck in your heart's pocket, right? Um, right. like this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so if you could just share some of yeah. the stories uh, as we close today. Well, one of the things that I struggle with, like a lot of churches, um, is with online small groups. Now, fortunately, post COVID that got a whole lot easier. Um, mm. but when I tried doing it, back in 2010, 2012, man, what I I started doing was, and I learned over time, but the mistakes I made was choosing technology that I liked rather than the technology that my leaders could use. Mm. So I was looking for the perfect tool that would had all the bells and whistles of all the things that I wanted to do instead of allowing the leaders that I was training to use the tools that they were familiar with. In other words, I was putting Saul's armor on them Mm. instead of letting them use the tools that they could use super easy that they were familiar with. And so that blew up in my face because I realized, because I had to do all these training and they never got it, you know, and then they got discouraged and ended up not doing the small group thing. And so I learned from then 
It was like, okay, I'm not going to put Saul's armor, Saul's technical armor on somebody and let them be who God has uniquely designed them to be using the tools that they know how to use. Because that will go farther with God's help and whatever kind of stuff I could dream up and come up with. Um, yeah, that that blew up on my face on more than one occasion. You, you would think that I learned that one. Um, um, then uh, the ones that I love is like, you know, even more than stories, they're people. Like Jolene, who from Iowa, um, she's in my online small group. I was with her two days ago. Um, and yeah, she's, she is a gem. She came to us through an invite off of Facebook to our Christmas services in 2011 and came to Christ online in a private chat room and um, took our membership class online five times because she loved it so much and wanted to, ha- to help other people with it. Um, found out in that membership class she needed to be baptized and she was in another state and couldn't travel so we got the team together and went to her and baptized her and filmed it and videoed it and it was really cool that baptism so practically she was baptized online um, as it relates to our church in Kansas City and she began leading other people to the Lord online leading volunteer teams, um, leads two online small groups right now. Um, She could and has run entire services on her own. Um, She has never stepped foot in any of our on-site campuses, but she is just as much a member of Westside, has more Westside DNA than a lot of people that show up on site just because of the way she talks, the phrases that she uses are from the membership class, you know, stuff like that. She's, she's in it. She is a Westsider and knows our staff and talks with them when she does, you know, like our small group teams and all that kind of stuff. She, everybody knows who she is. She mm. still never stepped foot on any of our onsite campuses. And that to me is a testament of what online ministry can do. Someone can come to Christ, be baptized online, serve online, lead others to Jesus online. You know, and that that to me is just the, the perfect um, testament to that. Um, and yeah, when I think of, you know, just people that that that's really cool. Um, I had another one in my head, but I forgot what it was. There's just so many of them. Yeah. Sometimes you have to cherry pick which one is the best. Um, but they happen all the time if you're open, if you're open to it. And yeah, I. I feel like we have, oh, one, one thing that I, that I love seeing right now wasn't always like this. A few years ago, alt space was filled with, you know, gurus and chakras this and, you know, meditation that and all of that, you know, today, alt space, when you look at the different events that are offered, there's churches everywhere. Yeah. There's people having real conversations with real people about matters of faith. And I love seeing that. I feel like that the church now post COVID is aware of online ministry and is exploring online ministry like never before. Um, One of the interesting things like here at Resi where I work um, on Sundays, Resi 
has more traffic being sent to YouTube than anybody else combined on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Rosie, we're like flooding YouTube with hope when it comes to Sunday morning. Same is true of, of Facebook. It's crazy the kind of things that I get to be a part of now and helping lots of churches instead of just my church, lots of churches with their digital expressions and seeing the innovative ideas that some churches are doing. And they're even pulling us and asking, hey, can we do this? Can your platform do that? You know, we want to explore Jesus in this way. And it's like, yeah. okay, this is this is the kind of stuff that gets me energized because I get to serve the big C church in ways that I didn't have a chance to do before. And to help all of us pioneer new expressions and new models that are going to help everybody in the end. Yeah, man, that's so good. And I just want to say, I think from from even today, getting to hear a little bit more of your story, I, the 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 image that comes to mind is like the stones in a pod, right? One at a time, kind of every now mm-hmm. and then. And the, eventually enough stones are thrown to resonate and make it across and back. And then right. there's more and more people from different places throwing stones as we're watching this thing, this beautiful thing happen. If you've ever watched yeah. like waves in a pond, yeah. it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's symmetrical. There's just science and beauty and art happening and um and i just want to say that i think as i look at digital ministry especially with the accelerant we all know that it was an accelerant i think we're going to keep speaking of 2020 as this this accelerant catalyst moment like that will forever be that like moment for us as like this is when I think, and 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 I, I use this intentionally, I think it legitimized online ministry for a lot of the church in a way that it hadn't before, mm-hmm. even though right. the ministry that was being done was legitimate. Um, and so I'm right. just, just, that's the image I get is that like the waves are starting to build and, and yeah, more it became and more, a viable model. Yeah. Whereas and, I think uh, even a lot of church planners that I'm working with right now, they'll do digital first before they even think about a physical, you know, expression. They do digital first to help test the market. It's way cheaper. You know, there's lots of ways that you can use these digital tools in a different emphasis than what most people would have thought of five years ago. Yeah. And, you know, digital was like the last thing you thought of. Now digital is the first thing you think of. And people are asking the question now, do I even need a building? Yeah. Do I even you know, do I even need a mortgage for the building for the, uh, all of the complexities that that gives? And it's a viable tool. It's a wonderful tool. But people are realizing now it's not the only one. Yeah. There's lots of other tools we could use to get the job done. And I think that's super exciting. Yeah. What uh, the thought that comes to mind is, as we were talking earlier about staffing people for different, like if you're going to be on different platforms, staffing it, the, the fact yeah. that you could staff three social network platforms for what most churches pay rent on per month. I know. Right. So, exactly. so just that, 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 uh, let's just say that it's a pro con, you put it on a pro con sheet. Right. right? And they don't like have to do it the way. It's just, you have to weigh yeah. it out. Um, so anyway, that, that was that. Okay. So we could talk for, I think another hour and a half, three hours. I would love to have you back on the show, but, um, sure. um, one, I want to honor your time and thank you so much for, for being here. I, I do want to ask, would you, you know, we have people of all different places, um, both in the church, active on staff, past staff. We, mm-hmm. I know that we have people who are wrestling with how to 
be involved in the church. And so um, for all that spectrum, I just want to ask if you would pray uh, for those listening and and just for what God will do with the church online. Hmm. Jesus, we are yours. It is your church. It is your kingdom. We are yours. May you help us to dream dreams for your kingdom that are inspired by you. May we see you remove obstacles and barriers to your hope and your love in ways that are so innovative that we know that it's you doing it and not us. May you cause us to see the ways that you are building your church that we before haven't perceived. And for those of us who are weary and well-doing, may you encourage us, even by seeing us as one big family that is expressing your hope and your gospel in so many ways, and to rejoice in that, to not see it as competition, but Mm. other expressions and other ways, because we're all brothers and sisters, and we are one church. May we reflect with that attitude, your desire that you had in Gethsemane, as you were talking with the Father, that we be one, as you and the Father are one. May, May we look at all of these expressions that seem to converge on a few models and ideas is not a bad thing, but as a good thing, because we're all listening to your voice. We're all reading the same book and we all have the same Lord. May we see the, the ways in which you are um, evolving your church and growing your church to reach the people who would never be reached using other models and other approaches is a good thing. And may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth, just like it's done in heaven. And one day, Jesus, when we see you face to face and the veil is lifted, where we no longer see through a glass darkly, may all of us, for all of the work that you have called us to do, and all of the models and the tools that you told us to use, and all of the giftings that you've given us through your spirit, may we hear from your voice, well done, good and faithful servant. You used everything that I gave you. May that be true of all of us, Jesus. And it's in your name that we ask together as your children. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jason, for that. Um, hey, before we let you go, where where can people find you online uh, if they just want to interact? Uh, with you? Yeah, I'm kind of all over the place. Twitter, you know, Jason and Maria. That was like that like expression of my love to my wife way back in you know when it started. Um, and you know, you can find me online with uh, on on Facebook. You can just search for that. Um, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place, you know conferences, things of that nature. You can find me here at resi at jason.morris at resi.io. Um, and I would, you know, I always love these types of conversations and helping people expand their imagination of what Jesus is doing all around the world. 
because you know the other thing that happened with COVID was it not only brought the church in the U.S. Um, an awareness of online ministry, but like you were just saying before, that's also true of every every other church around the world, and then a renewed awareness to the digital tools that are all around us that maybe we didn't use before, and now we are. And there's a lot of really cool examples of different and unique ways that people around the world in places like Southeast Asia and Africa that are using these digital tools differently than we are. Yeah. And we can learn from all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, thank y'all so much again, Jason. Thank you so much for your time. This is wonderful. And I'm glad we finally got to do it. And, and have yeah, man, on. I do help. look forward to, I think as these, these conversations continue, I think we're going to see a lot more of, of uh, some of our, our past guests come on. I hope, I hope you're one yeah, of them. Man. And um, yeah. Hey, if you're listening, thanks so much. And don't forget that we, we've got uh, our Twitter community. Uh, we're trying to grow that, but as well as uh, our Patreon, if you enjoy the conversations that are happening, if you enjoy uh, learning more about what's happening in uh, in the digital spaces, check that out. Um, again, it, it's really just a, a way of saying, Hey, I believe in this work. Um, and uh, yeah, just, I am so, so excited to continue exploring. Jason, thanks for exploring and, and allowing us to hear the, the decades of exploration that you've done. Uh, and uh, Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, absolutely. Well, we'll see you, Jason. Thank you so much. All right.